wonderful um, passage of scripture. It's Romans 8, starting at verse 18. And if you're going to look in your Bible to follow it, because it's complicated, <laughs> it's on page 1135. And the heading is present suffering and future glory. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who had the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to invite John up now to bring us the sermon. And as he is coming up, let's pray for John. Thank you, Lord, for the time that John has spent with you this week in preparation for this talk, Lord. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what it is that he has prepared to say to us this morning. Amen. Ah, good morning. morning. You're awake, I see. Good. Today's reading, uh, all about groaning. When I first read the title, I thought it said, uh, enjoy the Spirit's hope in every groin. But um, it seemed a bit strange, and I didn't want to preach about groins. It just shows. Should have gone to Specsavers, eh? Other pot... Other opticians are available. Yeah. <laughs> groaning. I don't think Paul is talking about the sort of groaning which goes on at Montgomery Waters Meadow when Shrewsbury Town play. Uh, you know, the centre forwards just put it over the bar from three yards out, and uh, we all know that our granny could have scored that even without her teeth in. Um, and, and a groan goes around the ground for what might have been opportunity lost. 
The groan isn't the same as the uh, groan some of us might utter when we get out of bed or get out of a chair because of the stiffness and the aches of old age. A groan about the struggle of living which isn't going to get better. It's not the groan people make when they've been told a rubbish joke. Sorry, I was walking down the street and a man came up and offered me a sofa and two easy chairs. And I said, my mother told me not to take sweets from strangers. There you are, it works. What's the leading cause of dry skin? It's towels. (laughs) Who would have thought it? If a groan is defined as a long, deep sound showing great pain or unhappiness, I'm guessing the awful jokes, particularly ones I tell, bring both pain and unhappiness. But before we look at what Paul means by groan in these verses, let's just set a little context. Romans 8 is a magnificent chapter. It's full of wonderful truths about who we are in Christ. The amazing work of the Spirit in confirming our status as God's children and the ways in which the Spirit helps us to live as children of God. Wonderful. And that section finishes with these words. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And there's a bit of a jolt there, isn't there? We are set free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit lives in us. The Spirit gives life to us. We are not slaves to fear, but we have the spirit of sonship, heirs with Christ. It's great. It's wonderful. If, we, if it was in the right sort of church, people would now be shouting hallelujah. But hang on. What's this in the small print? about sharing in his sufferings. That doesn't sound so good. And so Paul unpacks that thought a little in these following verses. And that's where the groaning comes in. And Paul makes the point that, yes, there are hardships involved. But whatever the sufferings of the present, they are insignificant compared to the wonders which await us in the future. In his second letter to Corinthians, he says the same thing, but he describes it using this picture of of weighing scales. And he says, for our light and momentary trouble uh, are, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And he says, imagine those scales that you've seen on Bargain Hunt. No, Paul didn't use Bargain Hunt, obviously, but, um, you know, those two pans pivoted in the middle. And he says, put your troubles one side. Put all your troubles there. Now put the future glory that awaits you. He said, that's how it's going to be. And Paul wants us to understand the contrast between the now and the not yet. Between this age and the age to come. Between the sufferings now and the glory which awaits Now, the sufferings of the now include the opposition of the world. We live in a world which doesn't uh, follow God. It doesn't doesn't love Jesus, hasn't accepted him. The sufferings of now include our human frailty, both physical and moral. 
And that's part of our provisional half-saved condition. The glory of the not yet is the unutterable splendor of God, finally revealed to us. And we will see it, and we will share in it, and we will be changed by it. But because we are in the now and not yet position, we groan. And our groans are are, are groans not of despair. It's not about opportunity lost. It's not about pain, which is not going to go away. They're groans of hope. Paul speaks of this glory which awaits us as our hope. For in this hope, the hope of the glory that awaits us, we were saved. We don't hope for what we already have. I don't hope for a lovely wife, because I already have one. She's back there, look, isn't she lovely? Oh. But we hope for what is still to come. And this hope that we have is not some wishful thinking, unrealistic, unlikely outcome which flies in the face of evidence and logic. This hope that we have is based on the sure and certain promises of God who is faithful and never lies. This hope. And Paul compares this groan of hope, he explains it to us, with the groans of childbirth. Now, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and pontificate about the pains of childbirth. Uh, men who do that are usually confronted by very angry women who tell them that they know nothing about the pain involved, uh, sometimes offer to help them understand with rather graphic and unpleasant suggestions, <laughs> sometimes involving watermelons, but there. But Paul's image is clear. Giving birth, no matter how painful, is endured with the understanding that it's a means to an end, with the hope of the joy of the miracle of new life. These are groans of expectation, anticipation of joys to come. And interestingly, he begins by saying that creation groans. When Adam disobeyed God, part of God's judgment fell on the created world. Cursed is the ground. It will produce thorns and thistles. And any of you who are gardeners will know the truth of that. It was Adam and Eve's fault, but creation was in some ways the innocent bystander who suffered too. And so creation is enslaved in an endless cycle where conception, birth, and growth are followed by decline, decay, death, and decomposition. And that's quite apart from the damage which we are doing to our world through our thoughtless plundering and misuse of its resources. And we're only now beginning to fully understand the pain of creation. Finely tuned, delicately balanced. It's still wonderful and it still works, but without doubt, damaged and declining. That's the now of creation. But one day... One day it will be renewed. It will be clothed in the glory which God intended for it from the beginning. And right through the Bible, 
the, through Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, through Jesus speaking of the renewal of all things, the visions of John in Revelation of new heaven and new earth, there's this golden thread. The rescue and renewal of creation. Creation longs to be released from its bondage to decay to fully express the glory of God in the not yet. And then Paul speaks of our groans. We groan inwardly. And as, as with creation, our groans are also an expression of the now but not yet. Earlier in the chapter, he's emphasized that we've been adopted into God's family. The Spirit assures us that we are his children. We've been redeemed. The Spirit at work in us is an expression of the new life we have. We have been saved. A past, fully complete action. But as we all know, we are not yet perfect. God has begun a good work in us, but we are not yet perfect the finished article. The now, for us, is a constant battle which rages between what we used to be and what God is making us into that will never be completed until we meet him in glory. And Peter last week was speaking about temptation, how we get tempted and we, we, we fail, we give in, and we all knew exactly what he was talking about. Carolyn was quite pleased. He seemed to say that being tempted by chocolate was okay, um, but she wanted it in writing just before she went to the shops to stock up. Um, Peter referred to Paul writing about how the good that he wanted to do, he didn't do, and the evil he didn't want to do, he seemed, it, it, that's what he seemed to end up doing. And that's the now of our fallen nature, which still hinders us from behaving as we should. And it's only the work of the Spirit in us that enables us to show even some progress towards becoming what God intends us to be. Our bodies too. Many of us know only too well that they're in the process of decay. And we're confronted constantly with our fragility and our mortality. And Stott sums it up with this phrase, we remain half saved. And so we groan. And it's a, a longing, knowing that there is more, that there will be more. Now just in case some of you are going, ah, oh, I'm only half saved. Oh, what's a... Let's be clear. If we have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are redeemed. We are God's children. We have new life. The Holy Spirit at work in us confirms this. That's locked in. That's a done deal. You're secure in God's love. But, and it's a big but, it's just the beginning. The Spirit is simply the first fruits. A taster, a down payment, a confirmation, a guarantee a full assurance of our future glory. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, he said, God set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Our friends, what we have now is wonderful. We have 
new life. No fear of condemnation. God's presence with us. Our relationship with the Heavenly Father. His love poured out on us. Wonderful things. But that's just a foretaste of what awaits us. And in some ways, we're, we're like children waiting for Christmas. Do you remember what it's like when you were little waiting for Christmas? It started in December then, not October like it does now. But in, in December, um, the cards would start arriving. And, and then Dad would go up in the loft and shake away the spiders and he'd bring down the tree or uh, the decorations and they'd go up. And then the presents would start arriving from aunts and uncles and they'd get piled up around the tree. And the expectation just built and built. We didn't know what was in the presents, but we knew it was going to be great. And there was a party and the food and the laughter and the joy and... Mum, can I open my presents now? No, you've got to wait. Oh, Mum. Actually, my mum always used to know what was in them because when we went to bed, she had a sneaky look. (laughs) But that doesn't fit in very well with what I'm trying to tell you about waiting for what's to come. Peter writes, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This not yet, this inheritance, this future glory, it's beyond our imagining. We don't know much about it. We do know that our bodies will be redeemed. No more pain, no more physical decline. Our relationship with God will be complete and full and rich. Suffering ended, joy unconfined, perfection in everything. But that's just a tiny smidgen of it. There's more, so much more. Writing in Corinthians, Paul says, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. And the Spirit dwells within us as a foretaste, revealing just a little and making us long for what awaits us. And so we groan in anticipation. Well, so what? So what? This is all very good and and nice, but what difference does it make? How does this help me in the stuff of life which is often unruly and a bit chaotic? Well, I want to suggest it's a a timely reminder for us that we live in the now but not yet. That the fullness of all God has for us is yet to come. Peterson in his his, uh, message translation, he put it this way. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. And you see, our eyes are so often fixed on the immediate The road just in front of us. The details of daily life which consume us. What am I going to have for lunch? What am I doing this afternoon? Am I prepared for the weekend away? And these details, all the bits and pieces, they crowd in us. They consume us. And this reminds us that we need to lift our eyes and look to the destination sometimes. Lift your eyes from the stuff of life and remind yourself 
of what awaits you. Because of this now but not yet, we need to learn with that end constantly in view. And Paul speaks of waiting in eager expectation, but also with patience. Eager expectation, but also with patience. I was going to impress you with a, with a Greek word, but I couldn't pronounce it. And when I tried to pronounce it, it, it sounded like the name of the Arsenal centre-back. So that wasn't, that wasn't actually very encouraging. But this, like all Greek words, they have rich meaning. And this word, it means to wait with head raised and the eye fixed on that point in the horizon from where the expected object is to come. Standing on tiptoe, straining forward. And Stott comments, we, we're, we're to wait neither so eagerly that we lose patience, nor so patiently that we lose our expectation, but eagerly and patiently together. We live in a, the now, in a constant internal battle with our old nature which tries to lead us astray we live looking out on a world which is broken decaying both the physical world and our society the people around us the relationships and the values that they hold which seem to drift further and further away from God's best day to day and yet alongside this temporal reality We who follow Jesus have another reality, our eternal life. We have lives invested in and entrusted to God, and we see the spiritual reality of God's power and his love and his mercy and the wonders of the eternal life that he's prepared for us in the distance. We wait, friends, not for death, but for the fullness of our eternal life. In Christ. So this is all about perspective. Keeping the end in view. Not being consumed by the struggles of the present, but lifting our eyes to see the wonders of the future. So whatever is troubling you just now, I don't know, what keeps you awake, what's making you anxious, I don't know if it's your health, your relationships, Money, dare I even say the B word, not, not Baptist, but, you know, the other one. The seemingly endless, depressing Brexit. Whatever, whatever's, whatever's troubling you now, what, whatever struggles you have, here's a reminder. God wants you to know today these things will pass. This is temporary. What he has for you is a glorious future. And I'm going to finish with Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And I, I, I butchered it a little bit because Paul's prayer was he was praying for them. And, and I put this for us because I want to be included in this too. This is my prayer for me as well as for you. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us 
who believe. Amen.